Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies. With Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague, and I want to take a moment to thank our new Patreon subscribers. Special thanks to Kimberly P., Max F., Paul T., Teresa D., Chuck S., Neil D., Vulcans Cross, Jarrett R., Jody C., Bradley J.H., Andrew A., Noah M., Victoria Z., Scott F., Rumesh L., Joe G., Mark H., Ryan L., Rebecca D., Pat McKay, UAP Researcher, Rousseau, Arcane Industries, Lauren R., Chris, Thomas H., Thomas F., Jason L., Lenora, Tom M., Keith T., and Brian W. Again, a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting Summer in the Skies. Also, a special shout out to our Apple Premium subscribers as well. Unfortunately, Apple does not give us names of those who subscribe to our premium content there. But you know who you are, and I thank you again for your support. And if you're not subscribed to either of these, I hope you'll consider it today. Our Patreon and Apple supporters truly are the Element 115 fuel that keeps our sports model flying saucer of a podcast thriving and surviving. So again, thank you to all of you for your support. And now, on with the show. Michael Ian Black is an actor, comedian, and writer. He's best known for being an original member of MTV's improv show, The State. He was also featured on Comedy Central's Stella and Viva Variety and Reno 911. And he starred in the entire Wet Hot American Summer franchise. He's traveled the world doing stand-up comedy, has written for television and film, and has published numerous children's and adult books. But recently, he started writing extensively about UFOs on his substack. So, naturally, I hopped on a train from Scotland to London for a one-on-one sit-down with the OG MIB, Michael Ian Black. Michael, welcome for the very first time to Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. I was thrilled to get the invite. Yeah, so, I mean... I have been in this UFO field for a really long time, and you know, for, throughout the years, it's been very static. You hear the same two, three people talking about it, and um, I was like the youngest person involved with this topic, like going and speaking at conferences and everything. And it was the same UFO cases over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, Roswell and um, you know, Rendlesham Forest UFO case here in England. Um, and then 2017 hit, and like the world just exploded with UFOs. It went mainstream. Um, it caught us all off guard. 
And it seemed that a lot of people in all different walks of life were starting to get interested in the topic. And you were one of those individuals who I started seeing kind of starting to talk about UFOs, which was really refreshing, um, you know, kind of growing up and watching you on television and the movies and stuff. And now here you were, like, on Twitter talking about my main passion. <laughs> and um, it, it just blew me away. And I saw that you had recently moved to England. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here temporarily. Temporarily. A okay. sabbatical, let's call it. Okay, okay, cool. That was actually my first question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of brought you here to London? What what made you want to come here? Well, uh, I my, my wife, who's outside this room, and I have two kids who are now grown. They're in college, and I wasn't working, and it just seemed like while we're young enough, why don't we try living abroad for a little bit? So our original plan was to live in Italy for a year, um, but we couldn't get the permits in time, the visas in time. So we were there for three months, and then we had to leave the EU because we didn't have the visa. So the UK was kind of the only place we could go. So we thought, well, we'll just come to London for a little while. So we're here. Cool. Uh, I got to ask, how do you like it? I like it. I don't love it. (laughs) I like it. Um, it's a lot like living in New York where I'd lived for 10 years. So it, you know, it, it doesn't have the same sort of, it doesn't feel foreign enough. Maybe like one of the great things about living in Rome was that it, you know, really was entering a different culture. I don't speak the language. I was, I felt like I was learning a lot every day here. It just sort of feels like I'm living my normal life, which is fine and fun, but it doesn't have that same sort of heightened excitement that I was getting in Italy. Right. Yeah. I did New York for almost 13 years. And coming here, it, it really was my uh, my fiance calls it America light. Yeah, like everything's just a little cleaner, yeah. a little nicer, <laughs> um, a lot more polite. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad you're enjoying it over here. It's been I've been here for about a year, and it's uh, it's been a good uh, rest, mm-hmm. I guess, from America. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but for me, as a UFO researcher, it's been really cool to kind of. Um, come somewhere where it wasn't Pentagon UFO programs. Right. It wasn't uh, Project Blue Book. It's a whole other country with their own baggage when it comes to this whole UFO topic. And is the passion the same here as it is in the States or less? With the individual people, yes. However, um, they'll be the first to say like their government has absolutely no interest in mm. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, their mainstream media, BBC, um, won't touch it. And if they do, it still has kind of that stigma behind it. You'll hear the X-Files music, uh, that side-eye glance from a news anchor. Um, Whereas in the States, like, as you know, every night you're seeing something on... Choose, you know, Mm -hmm. mainstream media outlets, CNN, Fox. uh, They're all covering it in a very serious manner, which, which I'll tell you... Eight, nine years ago was not the case. Oh, no. Like, you would be laughed at if you were on TV talking about UFOs or saw a UFO. Um, So I think that's slowly making its way over here, Mm -hmm. as most things do from America. Um, So I think a lot of countries are starting to kind of take their uh, position on it, whether from a national security stance or um, politically. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been an interesting transition. So... uh, yeah, I look forward to where it goes. I'm trying to do my best over here. Um, it's probably a good ambassador. place to be just because it hasn't quite broken here. So you can be on the 
forefront of that. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying, man. Um, but the real reason I wanted to talk to you today is because you've been putting out some really good articles over on your Substack that um, I and other UFO researchers have been paying close attention to. Your voice is so refreshing when it comes to hearing about these things because it's the same, like I said, people talking about it. We kind of live in this echo chamber. So to have someone like yourself who has an interest in the topic but isn't like, you know, living, breathing, sleeping it. uh, I'm very much outside of this community. What do you make of that community? I'm I'm interested to hear what someone on the outside... my, My sense is... Like any community, it runs the gamut from people who are, you know, grounded in data and research to people who are just fucking out there. And, um, you know, I want to I, I want to say like, you know, like, like the instinct would be to go, these fucking people are fucking out of their minds. But at the same time, like anybody who goes down this rabbit hole, the deeper you get into it, the more your mind expands. And you're sort of like, well, wait a second, like... It's hard to dismiss anything as too far out there. You can say things are less likely than other things. And you can you can say, I think you're probably misinterpreting what you're seeing or experiencing. But because the hypotheses for what this phenomenon actually is are so vast and, and in a lot of cases impossible to prove or disprove, at least at this point, I'm, I'm far less likely to dismiss anybody out of hand. So dismissing, that's another thing I kind of wanted to to touch on with you. I want to rewind a little bit because one of the first articles I read was uh, you stating that you possibly had your own UFO setting. Is that something you'd be willing to... Sure. I mean, it's a, it's... It's a it's a fairly mundane UFO setting as far as these things go. There's only one odd element, which I'll talk about. I was in high school. I was... I must have been a senior in high school, either uh, right at the end of my senior year or maybe in the summer after my senior year. I was with my girlfriend and best friend. We were coming back from the movies, driving. This is in New Jersey. Driving back, we lived in a kind of wooded uh, town, driving back through the woods. And I saw, we saw, what looked sort of like a fireball, sort of reddish, orangish, moving sort of slowly across the sky, too low to be, you know, like a meteor or something. Um, it didn't, in my memory, it wasn't that far above the tree line. My initial thought was it might be like a small plane crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no sound. And, and I wanted to follow it, but we couldn't because there were trees, you know, and so we, we sort of watched it as far as, as long as we could. And then my next memory of that is waking up the next morning and checking the local newspaper to see like had a plane crashed and there was nothing. So that's the end of the sighting. But what's weird about it, at least in my mind, is the fact that none of us ever talked about it again. Like we never said like to each other, Hey, wasn't that crazy? That thing we saw last night and years later, like within the last year, I was talking to my kids about this. And I said to them, I was telling them this story. And I said, I bet if I ask my ex-girlfriend, who I'm still in periodic contact with, if she remembers this, she'll say no. And I don't know why I thought that. 
but I believed it. And so I texted her and I was like, hey, do you remember this? She's like, no, I don't remember this at all. I would remember that. And I'm like, yeah, you would remember that. Why wouldn't you remember that? So I'm like, so I'm left with this problem. Is that a real memory? Is that a false memory? Did I just imagine that? If not, why doesn't, if it's real, why doesn't she remember it? And if it is, if it's not real, why do I believe it to be real? Like, to my knowledge, I have no other false memories in my life. I've never encountered anything like that. I was talking to Dave Foley about this. And he said, there is this this, uh, expression in the UFO community called emotional dampening, where people often don't talk about it. And he was recounting, it's now public, but this had just happened to him, his own experience with Jeremy Corbell, where they were out and Jeremy and he saw a UFO. It was the first time Jeremy had ever seen anything like that. And they had that same kind of emotional dampening thing where Jeremy didn't think to take out his phone, didn't think to record it. And it was that, it was that same like weirdness around it, that same like weird behavior around it. So that's it. I mean, that's my, that's the entirety of my UFO experience other than one time I was on LSD and we looked up and we saw something like, yeah, that's, I can dismiss that. That's so fascinating. You bring that up because I mean, at this point I've traveled the world interviewing UFO witnesses or people who have claimed even things up to close encounters and mm-hmm. alien abductions. Like it really runs the spectrum. And a lot of people, uh, claim the same thing. Like, I I didn't think about taking photos. Like, they were so in the moment. And I often think whatever these phenomena might be, uh, that's what they want. They want you in your shoes, in that moment, more immediate than ever, and just, like, experiencing this thing. Mm -hmm. I I had a sighting when I was a kid with my dad. And it was kind of the same thing. Like, it stuck with me. Uh, The memory was so vivid and terrifying that I... It was very traumatic, to be honest. Uh, but my father, like, totally forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Like, blacked it out of his mind. You know, come 2017, which we'll get to, uh, is when he and I, like, sat down at a bar in central New York, had a couple beers, and really talked about it. And the memory started coming back to him. So I do find it fascinating that a lot of people have, you know, what Dave Foley um, called it, or, or even this idea of like a screen memory mm-hmm. like these phenomena might want you to block it out you don't know what happened within those fleeting moments of when an experience happened um, but I do find that fascinating even the Phoenix Lights incident mm-hmm. you know thousands of people saw it but a lot of them said it was weird after I saw it I kind of just shrugged my shoulders and mm-hmm. went inside and nobody talked about it even though it was this massive thing that you know, presumably thousands of people saw. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of it, um, but I, I did find that aspect to your sighting pretty fascinating. That yeah, I find it interesting too, just psychologically. Like I just, mm-hmm. I, I that's the part that you know, whatever. It's 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 that it's that weird paradox of did I see something? Did I not see something? Um, and that inability to account for that reality I can only imagine how people who have missing time for example must feel you know just that just that that sense of dislocation um, and you know for me it's it's a tiny tiny thing 
But for somebody who experiences it in a more profound way, I can't imagine what it does. Right. It, it, it really comes down to like how you decide to uh, integrate it into your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, clearly it changed the entire path of my life. Like mm-hmm. I, was, I wanted to be a baseball player. That's all I wanted to do. And now I'm like 28 years later, I'm here interviewing you. About and you're what, 5'8"? But, yeah, about <laughs> pushing it. And, and, uh, and, and your athletic skills are what? Uh, at this point, about zero, <laughs> to be honest. But, yeah, that was... So may, maybe maybe they were maybe they were pushing you in that direction. <laughs> they were leaning. They were like, you know what, way. Ryan? Maybe, maybe head towards this way. Yeah. You know, it's like that John Travolta movie phenomenon, right? Hit him with the light. Um, well, okay. So let's move to... Um, 2017. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of your your um, rediscovered interest in UFOs really started when a lot of people did, yeah. when this came out. Um, what was that like for you, hearing when that story broke in the New York Times? It was almost the same experience, yeah. because I was reading this... So, you know, from... My whole life, I've been interested in UFOs. It's not. It's not. It wasn't like me seeing one. That wasn't the first time I'd been interested. Like I had been interested as a kid and all the way through. Um, but my interest waned. I think because of what you described. It's like okay, we're seeing the same cases. Nothing seems to be moving forward. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this, if anything. And I started to find myself basically in skeptic mode, being like, you know, this just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. This is all probably explicable. You know, I'd been I had read the CDB Brian book, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, um, pre-2017. I had been following the sort of alien abduction thing, just trying to make sense of it, trying to understand what it was. So, like, I had, you know, like a toe dipped in these waters. But then when the article broke, I remember reading it and going, this is, um, I don't know if it's quite ontological shock, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's creeping up there. Mm-hmm. But what was weird to me was the non-reaction of the rest of the world. Like, I sort of thought it would it would blow up like a bomb. But for months and months and months, it seemed like nobody was really paying any attention to this. And I was, I was asking people, I mean, did you see this thing where the Pentagon's basically saying, yeah, UFOs are real? And it seemed like for the longest time, people either hadn't read it or were just indifferent to it. And I don't know, it, 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 it made me... Um, I guess I kind of shrugged my shoulders at it. Ultimately, like, I guess I just sort of felt like, I guess people don't care about this shit, you know? And still don't, to, to a large degree. I mean, most people don't, particularly, which I guess is okay. But for me, it was really, it was really like a bomb went off. And so from that point on, I started paying much closer attention, you know, and I've been following the updates and I've been doing, quote unquote, my own research, or at least just getting back into the field, you know, yeah. deeper into it yeah. and trying to understand all the different sides of it. There's a lot of sides. There's a lot of sides. And um, what's been interesting to me personally about it is how it it has opened my mind up to maybe a lot of different life aspects that I wasn't that keen to be receptive to. Um, Touching on religion, consciousness, all of, you know, sort of larger paranormal stuff, 
And with most of it, I couldn't tell you today where I fall in terms of belief system. But I'm very interested in how people are experiencing life now and the myriad ways that people are just encountering reality, whatever that is, and how they're processing life. Like, to me, that's the most interesting thing of all of this. Yeah, I I remember interviewing a um, this guy from Harlem. Lived in Harlem his whole life, total, like, hard-ass dude, blue-collar, um, wasn't religious at all, and had what he believed was, I guess... You could say it was like an abduction experience Mm. where, you know, you woke up and kind of your prototypical gray beings were there and um, were guiding him along their craft or what have you. And they showed him symbols and he interpreted it as prayer hands with like a lightning bolt through it. Um, And this kept happening, like the same dream or experience kept happening to him. And he eventually kind of processed that into, um, like, prayer healing, mm-hmm. in a way. And all of a sudden, dropped his entire life in New York City and became, like, a pastor at a church. And he kind of attributes all of this to these weird experiences he had, whether they're alien or uh, angelic or <laughs> some people think demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, it completely changed his entire perspective, his entire um I guess spiritual being. Mm-hmm. So you do have to wonder, you know, like uh, could some of these experiences um, be connected to religion? Uh, you look at something like the work of like uh, Diana Walsh Pasolka, um, who look, who's a religious professor who leans heavily, kind of into that theory that mm-hmm. a lot of this does have to do with religion or religion has, has to do with this. Yeah. What do you, what do you make of that idea? Like aliens could be had kind of started our major religions. I know that's a little out there, but... It's no less plausible than anything else. Yeah. You know, it's like... I, I I know her work. I've read American Cosmic. I, I've watched her being interviewed. And the parallels that she draws between mystical and religious experiences... And classic sort of abduction experiences or encounters are profound. You know, um, when one when I have looked into the history of this stuff, and you you see, you know, I'll display my own ignorance, but um, the paintings from like the 15th century that show, you know, these things was the, the, the German painting, and 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 you listen to someone like uh, Dan Walsh Pasolka talk about. Um, how similar descriptions of alien encounters are with religious encounters with saints or angels or whatever. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to draw different conclusions than she's drawing that these are similar, if not the same experiences. What does that mean? Does it mean that they're actual physical experiences that people are having? Or is it something that we generate ourselves? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows at this point. Um, but it's powerful to me. These these are, and 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 it it seems totally reasonable that somebody who had had an experience like this would discuss it, would mythologize it, that it could become uh, a thread in sort of the tapestry of religious life as as humans know it. Um, 
I don't know. That's the safest answer I think any of us can give. Um, Well, in terms of knowing, I mean, I recently spoke to uh, Luis Elizondo, Mm -hmm. the former director of the Pentagon UFO program, and he was telling me, you know, it was so damn hard to investigate these things within, you know, the infrastructure of the government. Right. Um, Funding, obviously, being the biggest problem with any government program. Um, But the religiosity, extreme religiosity of a lot of his superiors who said, dude, stop looking into this. It's demonic. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, And he ran up against that time and time and time again, which is crazy to think, you know, we, we talk so much, at least in America, about church and state and this and that. And now you even have it, like, within a government-funded UFO program mm-hmm. where, like, these religious extremists are like, stop doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. So you can't say that they're not connected. I mean, it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, the Pentagon and the military is traditionally a fairly conservative institution. It draws heavily from the South and from communities where religion plays a larger role than maybe in the general population of America. So it's not surprising to me that you might bump up against that kind of resistance. It is surprising to me, though, that somebody of a high enough rank in the military wouldn't at least want to understand the national security implications of this stuff, um, even if it is demonic, and be like, hey, do we have to fight demons now? Like, you'd want to know that. I don't, you know... But, uh, you know, if you believe in your heart that that even talking about this stuff is going to open some portal to hell, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess you would discourage somebody from looking into it. But it's a, that's a weird take to me. But but, you know, what I don't doubt in any of this or in most of this is people's sincerity. And that's that I think is an important part of looking at the phenomena is is understanding that for the most part, 99% of the people that you're going to talk to are sincere in whatever they're talking about. Unless you have somebody who has some sort of counter narrative or is purposely sowing disinformation or just trying to make a buck, whatever it is, most people, I think, are sincere in their experiences or in their desire to, to understand. Um, so when somebody says, hey, you're, you're dealing with demons here, like that's not my belief system, but I believe that they're sincere about it and it's worth knowing more about that. Mm. Yeah, that sincerity really shines through, I think, with pretty much everyone I've spoken to. Like, I know I've been lied to. I know I've been bullshitted. I know some people are fantasy prone or, uh, and things like that. And, and it's, it's, a, it's hard. It's, it's challenging to kind of navigate your way through a field made up of such uh, ambiguity, mm-hmm. I guess, um, which is also beautiful. Because like you said, like you can interpret these things in so many different ways, but how do you ever find answers to it is kind of where I'm at. I've been chasing this mystery half my life. I'm no closer mm-hmm. knowing what the 
how UFOs are. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever mm-hmm. will be. That's why the that's why the article was so interesting in, in 2017 because here for the first time we were seeing okay here's video of something here's some tangible ones and zeros that we can look at. Here are some names and faces associated with this. Here's a, 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 a former majority leader of the Senate going, yeah, this is real. We're putting money into this. Um, that was the first time that that I felt like I could look at something and attach names and attach video and att- and, and, and uh, have the imprimatur of the government on it. Whether or not you believe the government is another thing. But for me, as a citizen, it's like, okay, the U.S. government is saying this. At the very least, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if it's not true, why the hell would they be saying this? Right. It's mystifying that we're at a point now where, you know, you can look at things like Project Blue Book back mm-hmm. in the 50s and 60s. Okay, you know. This is post-World War II, going into the Cold War. Of course they're going to want to look at this stuff in our skies that shouldn't be there from a national security standpoint. Um, And kind of coming away from it, saying there's nothing to it. We've explained mostly, I think it was 700-something cases they weren't able to explain, which is still a large amount. That's a lot. Um, But they were able to explain most of it and Mm -hmm. said, we're done funding this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a threat. Over and then we come to find out, you know, the Pentagon had covertly been investigating. And now it's like out in the open. We have this new Aero group mm-hmm. um, who are uh, looking into this, again, from a national security standpoint. Um, so what do you make of that now that we have a newly established program within, like, the Department of Defense in the U.S.? Uh, investigating these on the face of it I go that's great on the face of it I go that's unbelievable progress here are you know let's call them a blue ribbon committee Mm -hmm. of people with the proper backgrounds investigating um, these stories obviously I know within the UFO community there's a lot of wariness about it Um, There's a lot of people thinking it's a smokescreen, they're going to end up covering up, they don't have the right access, etc., etc., etc. But just pulling back from all of that, isn't it a profound step forward that the United States government is saying, hey, we need to figure out what this stuff is. Not only do we acknowledge it's real, we're setting up um, an entity to study it. Combined with, you know, what NASA is doing now publicly for the first time, as far as I know, you've got prominent senators being very vocal about it. You've got at least a handful of Congress people being vocal about it, talking about it. I don't know if it's crossed the point of no return or not, but it certainly feels that way, where you're not going to be able to stuff this genie back into the bottle and go, yeah, it was just swamp gas anymore. It just doesn't seem like that's a possibility. So then the question in my mind is, okay, so then where is this leading? Because I have to believe that the other David Grushes out there who have testified already, they're saying things that must support what David Grush is saying, or you wouldn't have somebody like Marco Rubio out there saying the opposite. Rubio saying, yeah, there's other people who have talked to me, and they say what he's saying. He wouldn't put his reputation on the line if he didn't have some certainty about what he's being... Um, told, I don't think Kristen, Kirsten, Kirsten, I always get those mixed up. Jillibrand would yes, do the yes. same. Yeah. 
So I feel like as a consumer of this stuff, I'm being sort of led down the garden path a little bit. And I feel like, you know, I feel like there is a kind of quiet disclosure, soft disclosure happening step after step after step. But I don't know where that leads. Yeah. It doesn't seem like anybody knows where that leads at this point. That uh, Michael Schellenberger article that came out that yeah, yeah. that supported what Grush was saying but went further. I don't know. You know, I, 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 I certainly believe when, you know, somebody like Ross Colpart says, I've been talking to these people. They're saying the same stuff. I believe him. I believe his sincerity. Mm-hmm. So there's enough pings out there that are all sort of pointing in the same direction that makes me think, okay, this is a real, this is a real thing that's happening. This is a real nuts and bolts experience that people are having. Does it lead to actual craft? I don't know. Does it lead to actual bodies of entities? I don't know. But it seems like that's where we're heading. And to me... Like with the 2017 article, like that's the biggest story in human history. And, and so, you know, when I jokingly say on Twitter, for example, you know, okay, Trump got indicted. Can we get back to the UFOs? Like, I'm mostly being serious there. Like, this is so much bigger than any sort of clickbaity news story of, of the day. And why, why, why? Why aren't more people interested in it? And is it that sort of collective emotional dampening going on? Mm-hmm. I suspect maybe it is. I think you're right. And I think I, I don't like to get too conspiratorial on my show, surprisingly, for a UFO podcast. But you look at when a lot of these things were kind of dropped in the United States in the mainstream media. Um, you know, 2017 article was a big surprise. But like you said... Society kind of moved on. Like, I have to go to work the next day. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. Um, What are we having for dinner? Not like, oh, my God, like UFOs. (laughs) Um, And then you look at, like, the first Pentagon UFO report came out, Mm -hmm. like, right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Or you look at now this whole David Grush story, which we'll get get a little into, um, comes out, should be. Again, like earth-shattering information, you know, it made waves. Um, I haven't. I work with the debrief, the site that dropped that article, and it hit the same numbers that the New York Times article did, mm. which is insane to think. Like this little kind of niche website was able to accomplish that, but still, like if I were to ask, you know, someone on the street right now in London, do you know David Grushes? They, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the whole thing going on in Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So you do have to wonder, like, is there some sort of strategy of dropping these things at certain times? Um, I often wonder that because when you have nations that have different... We don't know what other nations have in terms of technology. You know, China is rapidly um, increased their their military budgets, their um, their craft. I mean, look at these objects that have been over the United States for God knows how long now, and we're just finding out about it. You do have to wonder, at least I do, what is the game here with the Pentagon? 
what do they want other nations to think mm-hmm. about what we're doing with all this UFO stuff? And what do they want their own public to think? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do feel like there's this weird chess game going on. Has that ever crossed your mind? Yeah. Hey guys, Ryan here. When I'm not making the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, I am listening to podcasts. And one of my favorites since the very beginning has and continues to be the Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold. Do you like conversations about UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, and the unexplained? The Paranormal Podcast, which launched in 2005, is the longest-running podcast of its type on the internet. The show harkens back to the best of paranormal media over the years. Shows like In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries. My favorite aspect of the show is that every week, it's something completely different. Which, for someone who lives, breathes, and sleeps UFOs, it's so refreshing to learn about other mysterious topics as well. But don't get me wrong. Jim's interviews on the UFO topic are also top-notch. Whether you're a veteran UFO researcher or brand new to the topic, Jim's interviews always set the standard for objective and insightful conversations. He's interviewed everyone from Jacques Vallée to the late, great Stanton Friedman. And that is just the start. And for you superstitious listeners out there, I have been honored to be a guest on the Paranormal Podcast a whopping 13 times. Luckily, I'll be coming back on soon to change that number. So please, do me a personal favor and tune in to the Paranormal Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. Hey, hey, it's Kip Bodner, CMO of HubSpot. Join me and my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, CMO over at Zapier, on Marketing Against a Grain. We're not the typical regurgitated Twitter threads. These are takes from us, marketing leaders about what we're doing and what we're learning from our peers and what's working in the market and how you can apply them to your business. Everything you need to grow a modern business and have a strategy that is fit for growth in today's changing economy. Listen to our podcast, Marketing Against the Grain, wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. All of us have busy lives these days. Whether it's work, family, friends, relationships, or even social media, it can begin to weigh down on you in unexpected ways. But you don't have to carry that weight alone. Therapy is something I highly support. Having someone to talk to can truly help you navigate the challenges in your life, set boundaries, learn new coping skills, and help you become the best version of yourself possible. If you are thinking of starting therapy, BetterHelp is there for you right now. Completely online, BetterHelp is not only convenient and flexible, but your therapist will work with your schedule. By filling out a quick questionnaire, you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And if needed, you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash skies today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash skies. It seems to me, and I could be wildly incorrect, that for the Pentagon to basically be orchestrating a huge psyop on the American population feels as implausible as the other explanation, which is they're telling the truth. Both because... It's just so outlandish, and also because it's illegal. Like they can't do that, you know. Like you can't just, you can't just. And 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 about such a like bizarre topic, yeah. to just be like, hey, UFOs are real, and here's a dude who worked in the program, and he's gonna he's gonna uh, you know uh, uh, say that we have twelve, you know, we have a bunch of. Uh, recovered craft and we're going to hold hearings and we're going to establish this office to deal with it like what like that like why why would you possibly do that and let's just say that's true like this whole thing was a psyop then that becomes the biggest story in american history like what the fuck was that you know like whatever is true is bizarre. Yeah. Whatever's true is so out there that we're living in interesting times, as the saying goes. My preference would be that we have UFOs and the UFOs are real. But if the other thing is true, I'm I'm almost as equally fascinated by that. I want to know that story also. Yeah, right. And you know, like talking to these people who were part of these programs, like. That sincerity, like you mentioned earlier, uh, does come through. When you're looking these people in the eyes and they're telling you, I've touched something, like a material, from something that is not from here. And that can mean, you know, a hundred different things. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I do. I I believe they believe, Mm -hmm. I guess, kind of like we said earlier. Um, That sincerity shows through. I think there are people within the government, David Grush, Luis Elizondo, um... I have been told uh, we will be getting more whistleblowers coming forward. They feel empowered now to do this properly through legal channels. Uh, that they do believe what they're actually saying. They're not being told to go out and play this weird puppet game mm-hmm. of chess with the, the public. Um, so, yeah, I tend to agree with you. Either story, like you said, would be historic and would change everything. Well, think about, I mean, like, that would bring down a government. If, if it were to come out that the, that the Pentagon just made this shit up, like, people are going to jail, I feel like, over that. Yeah. Like, presidents are falling over that. Like, that's that's no small thing. I don't think. I don't think. And what could possibly be the motivation? Because if, you're, if your goal is to fool China or to fool Russia into thinking we have something we don't have, it seems like there are back-channel ways to do that. It seems like there are ways that you can manipulate sort of this sort of underground intelligence stream that we know is going out there for them to pick up and try to decipher as opposed to just going with a with a megaphone, UFOs! Like, that just seems crazy to me. Right. That's such a good point, yeah. Uh, 
I, I yeah, I don't know where like you said, I don't know where it's all heading, but I'm here for it, man. I'm riding the wave. <laughs> it's been the most interesting time for a UFO researcher. It will continue to be. Um, you mentioned NASA. One of the things that cracked me up was um, in your article where you talked about NASA's recent panel they did um, and how fucking boring it was. Yeah. Which I guess we should have sort of expected, but four hours. <laughs> they live streamed that thing for four hours and I fell asleep like ten times. <laughs> I think the most interesting part was really when um, uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of Arrow, showed up. Right. And out of nowhere, and I want to kind of transition to this a little bit with you later is he said uh, yeah I just had a meeting with the five eyes and we talked about all this and that's when like I think all the UFO people's ears perked up they're like the five eyes mm. this kind of mythical thing we'd heard about with all these different intelligence agencies in different um, you know sort of Eurocentric countries uh, get together and talk about intelligence and that a UFO program was not doing that that really got our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we know this government program is working with NASA um, and kind of putting all the heavy work onto them. Mm-hmm. Like, you're NASA. You should be looking into UFOs. Um, so what do you make of NASA's role in all this from a scientific perspective? I, I don't have a scientific perspective. I'm not smart enough to have a scientific Me perspective. <laughs> but um, I think that... I, I, as an entity, I think NASA's kind of interesting... Because they're a public-facing space exploration institution, but it seems like they're all you know they're almost certainly involved in more sort of quasi-military or directly military quiet uh, quiet stuff. I've never known. I don't think any of us know sort of where the dividing line is there. Um, they're not supposed to be a military organization. It's impossible for me to believe that they don't have a sort of military, that they don't have military applications associated with them. I've never understood why, I guess I do understand why they've never expressed sort of any public interest in UFOs before. Um, Clearly, you know, they want to be taken seriously as scientists. And up until very recently, I guess if you had said UFO, that would tend to diminish their credibility. So I guess I understand that. But, you know, clearly they have like astrobiologists on staff and, and they study weird xenotypes and they go to the bottom of the oceans to look at what kind of uh, worms can survive and, you know, volcanic vents and shit like that. So you go, all right, like they're, in- they're clearly interested in all of this stuff. I did think it was cool that they were brought into this. I did think it was cool that um, NASA is now a part of this conversation I also think it's necessary that they're part of this conversation. And I did think it was heartening in a way that the conference was so boring. Like it was it was heartening in a way because you go, oh, yeah, they're just like bureaucrats, like talking about bureaucratic shit. So that to me says UFOs are now mainstream and are now absorbed into the sort of public or the scientific consciousness, the scientific mainstream where they're going, yeah, we just need more. We need better data sets. And that's what we're going to do. We're trying to get better data sets. And here somebody's going to talk about how we're going to get better, better data sets. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is boring. But but it was heartening to me, you know, because they weren't out there making noises. Mm -hmm. They were being very sort of, it seems like purposely deliberative and boring the way you would want scientists to be. Mm-hmm. 
And then Sean Kirkpatrick is like, yeah, and we got these flying orbs that are going around. And you're like, okay, well, well look, let's go back up to that for a second. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, there were some good moments in there. I mean, you had them even kind of debunking one of the Navy UFO videos. Right. The thing we've been told was the go fast. Right. Now became the go slow. Mm-hmm. They said it was traveling like 20 40, miles yeah. per hour, 40 miles per hour. Um, so there was some benefit to that. Like, it shows that they're actually taking it seriously mm-hmm. and serious can be boring mm-hmm. and like you said I would, I would think serious boring. should be boring for yeah. the most part you know I, like I'm not, I have no interest in getting into the lab and doing the work like I'll wait for the headlines I'm fine with that I want you to be deliberative I want you to be boring I want you to you know take your time and get this thing right mm-hmm. exactly uh, so that was that was reassuring to me it was it was well it, I guess that leads us up to today David Grush, this whistleblower, comes forward. His credentials are insane. Like, if you look at what this guy's done, who he's worked with, the people who are actually vouching for him, it does truly make you wonder. And the implication of if he's lying, uh, like you said, these people can go to jail. Um, Their reputations are... I mean, his reputation's gone. Mm -hmm. Let's be completely honest. Unless all of this is proven and he becomes this, Mm -hmm. you know hero of, of uh, not only the UFO community, but like humanity, yeah. you know, in so many words. Um, do you think we're going to see more of these people coming forward? Uh, do I mean, you think I, this I'll, like house of cards is going to fall? Sort of? All I know is what I digest, which is apparently, yeah, apparently there's what, four other whistleblowers who are sort of lined up to come forward. Many, if not all of them, have already testified. I imagine once that happens, other people might feel empowered to come forward. Where does it go? I don't yeah. know. You know, and, and, and supposedly these this next wave of whistleblowers are the firsthand people, are the people who are in the room, are the people who have touched the craft or dealt with the entities or whatever it is. You know... One of the things that I think I've understood about the UFO community over the few years that I've been paying attention to it is that there's always the rug being pulled out from under you. You always walk right up to the line and someone's like, well, maybe not this time. So I think I'm wary enough to not like have my hopes particularly raised that this will be resolved in a concrete way. But I'm certainly primed to hear whatever anybody has to say who's well-credentialed and would be in a position to know. Like, that, to me, is, yeah, fascinating. As Watching it unfolding and watching it unfolding almost in real time. As you say, like, every day now when you turn on uh, the news or, you, you know, you just read whatever UFO community boards that you read, you're going to see something most likely pushing the narrative a little bit forward. It's great. I mean, it's the greatest story uh, in history if it is born out to be true. Yeah. But but let's say it is born out to be true. Let's say we have these craft. To me, that's when the story actually begins. Like right now, we're just leading up to the story. The story of how we get to the story. If any of this is born out to be true, then... I, 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 you know, then everything just blows so wide open because then you're, then we're in a position where our fundamental understanding of who we are has to be reevaluated, if not utterly changed. 
I was going to ask you what, you know, this word in ufology of disclosure, uh, what does that look like to you? I mean, we always envision like the president coming out, right? White House law and UFO landing, blah, blah, blah. What is, how big is that word in terms of what it would do? I've never really thought about, for me, what the definition of disclosure disclosure would look like. Sure, you could have Biden or whoever the next president is coming out and saying, hey, we've got these craft. They're created by non-human intelligence. We've had them since X date. We've known about them since X date. That obviously would be the sort of marquee disclosure moment. I guess I have a hard time imagining that happening. I don't know why. Maybe because the kind of shock and awe of that would be so overwhelming for people that I wonder whether we are in the midst of disclosure right now, that it is about the sort of slow unraveling of the truth. You you take people up to this point, they sort of digest that for a little bit. You take them to this point, you let them digest that for a little while. That to me seems the more likely way to do it until you get to a point where a president can come out and say, everything that you've heard about, I can confirm. And then people can be like, okay, you know, it's like, it's still going to be weird, but maybe not as weird as it would have been if they'd landed on the White House lawn to use the cliche. Um, so I think that's I think that's what disclosure is. I think we're in the middle of it or in the beginning stages of it. I think that that's my sense of what's happening. I could be wrong. I I, I think disclosure maybe is happening right now. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think we're in the infant stages of mm-hmm. something like that. The acknowledgement is huge I mean, mm-hmm. for so long. And again, like we often look at this from the U.S. government perspective. There's world governments everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like it would be much bigger than just this one country's acknowledgement and dissemination of information on it. Um, you do have to wonder, like, what knowledge does do the five eyes have? Mm-hmm. What knowledge does China, Russia, um, whatever, um, insert country here? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you truly have to wonder, like, globally, what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's profound. It really is. And I think you're right. It wouldn't be as marquee as we would all sort of hope. I mean, that would be fun. It would be fun. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's a take a day off from work kind of day. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Marquee version. Um, Two last questions. Um, Entertainment is a huge influence. um, Western entertainment on like the whole world. Um, There's no getting around that. And the UFO subject and Hollywood, I guess, have had a strange marriage for very long. I always use the example of, like, Top Gun was created to recruit young men into the Air Force. So, like, there's a reason this movie was made um, and a purpose and an agenda, quote-unquote. Um, and you look at some of the early movies that came out about flying saucers back in the 50s, 60s, uh, based on purported actual events. Um, so, I guess... That is my question. What role do you think the entertainment industry plays in all this? I mean, kind of coming from that world and then seeing how it's played out in movies, TV, pop culture. uh, What role do you think entertainment has in maybe that even that disclosure, I guess? Well, there's a couple different ways to look at it. The first is I was and continue to be naive in a lot of ways. Like it never occurred to me as somebody sort of entering this industry that it 
would be manipulated by the U.S. government to further its own aims. Um, but of course it has been, you know, um, the example you just gave is perfect. But then you go, okay, so what's the story behind, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Like, was there, was Spielberg like in contact with anybody about moving this story one way or another? Um, or was it just sort of created whole cloth out of his mind? You know, I know, I know there are people in UFO circles who, who think this, this, there was, there was some deliberate action there, that there was something, a, a bigger agenda at play. I don't know. Um, that's one way that that's, that's one side of this. The other side, the side that maybe I'm more interested in is the way culture reflects itself and shapes itself. So you get something, you get Kenneth Arnold looking, you know, seeing a, a flying saucer. Suddenly that term flying saucer is in the public consciousness. Of course, some smart alecky Hollywood screenwriter is going to be like, the day the flying saucers came, you know, and it's starring Ernest Borgnine and here's the flying saucer and here's Ernest Borgnine and are they friend or foe? And then that gets reflected back in to reality of what people believe they are seeing, which then gets reflected back into popular culture. And there, it, 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 it turns into a kind of back and forth that not only sustains the narrative and the mythology, but also helps to create it. So how much of our reality are, is self-generated? I think that's a legitimate question. How much of let's say, contact or these experiences are outside in or inside out. How much of it, how deep does it go within our relationship to reality? How much are we creating reality itself? You can distill that into pop culture, but I think it maybe raises sort of larger questions. Yeah, absolutely. It it raises so many questions. I mean... I, I always, I've always looked at like you know the entertainment industry likes to put that mirror back on us. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of movies now coming out about time travel, mm-hmm. wishing we could go back and change things. Um, that's happened a lot in the past, but you are seeing it play out in a lot of these big budget movies coming out right now. And you do have to wonder, like, is this kind of our want, our need to go back and change things? Um, whether it's the pandemic we lived through or survive, you know. Uh, came out on the other side through, not clearly un, unaffected, or a war going on, um, several wars throughout the world at a constant rate. Um, you do have to wonder, you know, well, that mirror putting being put back on us. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm seeing, maybe I'm not, maybe it's just the kind of thing that I'm drawn to in terms of pop culture, but I feel like there is a movement artistically towards... Um, the same questions that I'm asking here, which is, what is the nature of our reality? How much of it is a construct? How much of it is like what? What even it like? What 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 is foundationally reality? Um, and I feel like you see that expressed in a lot of different ways. I mean, even something like Oppenheimer, I feel like is doing that, where you're creating a godlike machine. You're you're fundamentally changing reality. 
And then, you know, jokingly, Barbie is doing the same thing. Barbie is saying, here's this unreal thing that we're bringing into reality. How do they affect each other? It's a stupid example. But it, but, you know, and, and this, and, you know, the, the sort of jokes that are sort of being pinged back and forth comparing Barbie and Oppenheimer um, are funny, but there is actually some overlap there. There is some thematic overlap there. I, you know, I don't know what to make of any of it. I mean, and maybe you can, maybe, you know, you can look at a lot of different forms, uh, uh, artistic forms. And, you know, if you want to interpret it through that, that lens, maybe you can. It just happens to be what I'm interested in at the moment. So, you know, I'm just, I may just be bringing my own biases towards it. <laughs> I, I that, No, I think that's a great example. You have these movies that you think would never have anything in common, kind of melding together to, <laughs> to make us really question things. And I think you're right. Um, I've interviewed a lot of comedians, actors, musicians on this show, and those tend to be the people, creative people, um, who aren't afraid to ask the ridiculous questions. Yeah. Um, well, we trade in ridiculousness. Right. That is our livelihood. <laughs> exactly. Well, what role do you think comedy plays in a lot of this? I mean, Dave Foley's been on the show and talked about this. Um, it seems to be a lot of comedians, quote-unquote, uh, gravitate towards the UFO subject. And I, I find that fascinating. Um, if I had to guess, I... I, I, I and I don't know how many comedians are interested in this or, or musicians or actors in general. Um, I haven't talked to many of them about it. If I had to guess, it, it, it probably draws in people who are, who are sort of living on the fringes anyway in terms of the way that they think about the world, the way that they want to approach the world. So much of comedy, for example, is about pushing boundaries and understanding where those boundaries are. And as we said from the very beginning of this conversation, the stigma around UFOs, that, you know, stigma is a boundary. That's taboo. Once you walk up to that line and comedians are about taboo, comedians are about looking at taboo and, and trying to understand, like, what is it about it that makes it um, something that people are afraid to talk about? Why can't we move into this Subject UFOs just happens to be one of those subjects. I, I imagine musicians probably feel similarly that you you know, obviously the most prominent being Tom DeLonge, where I think a lot of people in the arts get into the arts because the world doesn't make sense to them, and UFOs don't make sense. Yeah, they just don't make sense. So of course we'd be drawn to that. I love that. Uh, I can't think of kind of a better way to kind of wrap that up. Um, well, okay, last question for you. Do you have a favorite case? Anything you could really hang your hat on in the world of UFOs that kind of really makes you... And, and on top of that, like, what's your favorite theory out there about what these things that don't make sense could possibly be? I don't know that I have a favorite case, but 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 a, but a couple I think are really, I mean, so many of them are. They're all interesting, but um, the Zimbabwe school kids one, that one I think is just fascinating. What did they? I mean, they all agree. They, the kids were there. They saw this thing. They all agree on what they saw. They they draw. Decades later, they're they're hanging. They're staying with the story. So what was that? What was that experience? What did they see? 
You've got multiple witnesses, all credible, no reason for them to lie. What was that? That, I think, is fascinating. I think the Phoenix Lights thing is fascinating for similar reasons. You've got, it's a major American city. People are looking up. They're seeing this thing. You've got a governor coming out there, poo-pooing it, making fun of it, then turning around and going, yeah, I don't know what that was. Like, I guess what's interesting to me about these cases are not only that they happen and that they happen with multiple witnesses in the case of the school kids, maybe a dozen or two dozen in the case of Phoenix, thousands. What's interesting to me about cases like that is not even so much what happened to them, but but the reaction around them. Nobody talks about the Phoenix Lights thing outside of UFO communities. It happened in Washington, D.C. in, what, 1952 or something. Nobody talks about that. I didn't even know about that. Why don't... When, when people say, well, why don't the White House, why don't the UFOs, you know, come down to the White House? Long? Well, they did. Why are we talking about that? There's so many of those cases. And yet they just get filed into the cabinet of, yeah, we don't know. Close the file. You know, flares. Close the file. I don't know. I don't think it was flares. You know, um, we have a UFO landing in front of these school kids. Beans come out. Doing, hey, man, how you doing? Takes off again. Those kids, they're now adults. They still maintain what they saw was what they saw. Just file it away. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to make of... I don't know I don't know what to make of people who aren't interested in that. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't spark the same level of fascination in most people that it, that it does with you and, and, and with I and with other people who are interested in this stuff. To me, there's nothing, I, I can't think of anything more interesting, more fascinating, more profound than these questions and the ancillary questions that they produce. It's such a rich subject. I would be very surprised if in the next few years um, you couldn't major in this in college, that there won't be a UAP studies degree. It, it, there should be. Um, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, anomalous studies degree. Yeah. Like, there, there should be departments devoted to this, to this thing. Because the world is so much richer and more complex and diverse than we know. You can look at any number of sort of ancillary topics and know that to be true. I mean, you can go from the James Webb Space Telescope to quantum mechanics to near-death experiences to um, the effects of meditation to consciousness studies. All of it is worthy of study. All of it sort of is right on the fringes of our understanding of the nature of reality and somebody like me suspects all of it is connected. So how is it connected? Is it connected? I mean, start with that obvious question. How, how much of the, 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 the fabric of what we understand to be reality is connected? Like, what, what the hell are we living in? What the hell is this? It's, it's the fundamental question of humanity. And UFOs just give us a different way of looking at it. It's a lens. Yeah. I, I love that. 
Man, I, I that's that's it. My drop right there, Michael Ian Black. I can't think of a better way to sort of end this. Um, you and I are going to start the first university mythology <laughs> while we're here in London. So be on the lookout for that, guys. Um, but other than that, man, can you tell us um, what you got going on? Nothing. Now? I'm unemployed. That's why I'm in London. <laughs> that's a perfect, a perfect way to put it. Yeah, that's why we're all here. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Well, if people do want to read your work, where can they find what you're up to? Well, I write about UFOs on occasion on my Substack. Michael Ian Black is what it's called. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm I'm just sort of out there. Mm-hmm. You can see me perform my tour doing stand-up, not UFO-related stand-up. Um, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm available. Awesome. Dude, I can't thank you enough. Like, it was so awesome to finally meet you. Um, like I said, off air, huge fan Thanks. my whole life. Um, and the fact that you're now talking UFOs, not a world I ever thought I would see. So if UFOs <laughs> have done anything, it, it's definitely changed my paradigm and, uh, and my perception of a, uh, a Hollywood comedian. No, I just love, <laughs> I, I love finding people who are interested in this stuff because my wife... Uh, who's out there right now is just like UFOs again. I'm like, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I know that feeling. Trust me. My partner knows that feeling very well too. So, um, Michael, I got to thank you. today. Oh no, my pleasure. Thanks Ryan. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey, hey, it's Kip Bodner, CMO of HubSpot. Join me and my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, CMO over at Zapier, on Marketing Against a Grain. We're not the typical regurgitated Twitter threads. These are takes from us, marketing leaders about what we're doing and what we're learning from our peers and what's working in the market and how you can apply them to your business. Everything you need to grow a modern business and have a strategy that is fit for growth in today's changing economy. Listen to our podcast, Marketing Against the Grain, wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.